You all been reading, hopefully? Yes. At the Psalms of Blessing. And I want to share with you uh, out of four of the Psalms that I found especially a blessing to me. And, uh, and they go along with a, our theme of praise and worship and thanksgiving for our great God. So I want you to turn, first of all, to Psalm 33. Now, if you have the Daily Bible with you, it's on page 541, April 30th. Psalm 33. And the first verse is, I think, so apropos. Sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. That's what we did tonight. We are the righteous of God. And it's important to understand there's a distinction. We are not righteous in our own strength, our own wisdom, our own abilities, our own human goodness. We are righteous because God has given us his righteousness. See, that's the great thing that sets Christianity off from every other system of belief, every other religion and philosophy. As you study all the religions of the world and all the philosophies and, and every, every, every system of human thought seeks to deal with man's dilemma and man's problem, the Bible calls that problem sin. And that we're imperfect and we're always failing and we can never quite be what we want to be and we're always striving, we always seem to come up short. And every other system of thought in the world says you can do it you can attain to a higher level of consciousness you can become one with the all nothingness you need to do enough good works you need to do these and that and this and that and keep striving keep striving get better and better and then one day you'll achieve clear or some such thing but you know the reality in, in the face of all that stuff the reality is that we never do we can't. We are by nature and by definition, we are imperfect. And God tells us that in his word. He says, you're sinners. You're unrighteous. But I want to make you righteous. That which you cannot do for yourself, he says, I will do. In the great passage in Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 26, Paul spells it out. He says, but now a righteousness from God has been made known. God reaches down and he, he makes us right with him. He gives us a brand new nature. Our life now has a bent towards God rather than a bent away from God. The God of the Bible, I should say. And that all comes, that righteousness comes Paul says, through faith in Jesus Christ. It doesn't come through faith in Muhammad. It doesn't come through faith in Buddha. It doesn't come through faith in Krishna. It doesn't come through faith in uh, L. Ron Hubbard. It doesn't come through faith in any of the other modern gurus. The Maharishi, Ishi, Gushi, Rishi. (laughs) 
It comes through faith in Jesus alone. And, and we believe that. And the moment we realized that, that that is true, we believed it, we put our faith in Jesus, something happened to us. Now, in terms of practical righteousness, we, we're not perfect. But we have God's righteousness given to us. He looks at us as he looks at Jesus. Do you know that? That's how he looks at you. We don't look at ourselves that way, do we? No, we look at ourselves as we always looked at ourselves. Oh, wretched, wretched man, wretched woman that I am. But God doesn't think that way, and he doesn't look that way. Because what Jesus did on that cross 1,900 years ago, and we're going to celebrate that again with communion tonight. I was thinking uh, earlier in the evening about, about communion and what it all represents, and I was thinking here is the Bible says God took on flesh. God, the one we worship, the one we sing to, the one we came in picture, came down to this earth, put on human flesh, and then died on the cross for us. God, the creator. I can't get my mind around it. You know what I'm talking about? It's too great a thought for me. But he has made us righteous by our faith in Christ. And what we've done is we've acknowledged that tonight. We have sung to him. And the psalmist goes on and he says in that verse, it is fitting for the upright to praise him. It's the only thing we can do. This is, the, this is what makes sense, that the upright, those who have been recreated, born again, made new, praise him. It's fitting. And you can't do it unless you're born again, truly born again. You cannot do it. You may try you may try, but you cannot do it. There is no joy, real joy, welling up down deep inside of you unless you are born again. Isn't that true? Amen. And in the midst of your praise, you say to yourself, something has happened to me. You're not just singing songs. They're not just choruses that you're joining in with. God has changed you. He has made you among the righteous. And so we sing joyfully to the Lord. We praise the Lord with the harp. We make music to him on the ten-string lyre. And I'll bet you when David played that ten-stringed instrument, he used all ten strings. <laughs> sing to him a new song and play skillfully and shout for joy. Sing to him a new song. Oh, our, our worship teams are constantly writing new songs, constantly putting scripture to music. And even some of the old songs that we sing, we sing them as if they're new, don't we? Do Lord, oh do Lord. <laughs> we, we sing it with, with joy and we sing it as a new song unto the Lord. Amen. And the Bible says, and we play before and we should play skillfully. All of our musicians and our worship teams, we have some 50 people on our worship teams. 50 people. Who, who volunteer weekend after weekend, who serve uh, playing instruments, singing, skilled, skilled musicians. Can you imagine in, in Israel uh, when David assigned all the singers, there were some 6,000 musicians? Can you imagine? 6,000 musicians and singers going out and praising God. 
playing skillfully and singing joyfully before the Lord. He says, For the word of the Lord is right and true, and he is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice, and the earth is full of his unfailing love. The earth is full of his unfailing love. And again, you have to have eyes to see when you look around. If you don't have eyes to see, you, you miss it all over the place. He's faithful in all that he does. All that he does, God is faithful. He has a plan and a purpose, and he is faithfully carrying that purpose out. We can have absolute confidence and surety to that. God is faithful in all that he does. He says, by the word of the Lord were the heavens made. God spoke the heavens into existence. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars, and he puts the deep into storehouses. Let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke, and it came to be. He commanded, and it stood firm. What kind of God do you want to worship? Do you want to worship a God that can do that kind of thing? You know, people have problems. They say, oh, come on, you know. It just kind of all appeared. It was just all here. No. God spoke it all into existence. That's what the Bible says. That's a basic tenet of faith. And it, it seems to me that if I'm going to worship a God, I want to worship a God that's that powerful and can do that. I don't want to worship some puny God that can't do anything. I'm serious. A God that can speak to nothing and nothing can become something. God who can raise from the dead. A God who can do things that you and I can't even begin to think. The Bible says beyond what we can ever hope, think, or imagine. These are the things that God does. We should believe him for great and mighty things. We had a book of the month some months ago, last year I think. The title was, uh, Your God is Too Small. For most people today, in, in, living in this Western culture, our God is too small. We live in a very materially oriented world. While we acknowledge the spiritual realm, we don't, really, we don't really make inroads into that spiritual realm as God intends for us to do. We don't live in that spiritual realm as God intends for us to do. And hence, our view of all of that is rather, rather, rather narrow. Our God is too small. There's a whole lot of people say, well, I don't know if God wants to do that. You know what I'm talking about? But here the psalmist is just extolling his creative power. He says there's nothing impossible for him. He is to be praised. He's to be enjoyed. He's to be worshipped. He's to be blessed. He's to be exalted. He is an awesome God. Amen. I wish I had Alan up here. We'd sing that song. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. He spoke and it came to be. He spoke and it came to be. Wow. He commanded and it stood firm. The Lord foils the plans of the nations. He thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But the plans of the Lord stand firm forever. The purposes of his heart through all generations. There are 
multitudes and multitudes of peoples who don't know God, multitudes of nations who don't know God. And we have the great privilege of telling them about him. But there's lots and lots of people who plot against him, who resist him, who don't believe in him, who ridicule him. And yet the Bible tells us here that he will foil the plans of the nations and he thwarts the purposes of the peoples. But his plans stand forever, the purposes of his heart through all generations. Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord, the people he chose for his inheritance. Israel, you remember, was to be that nation. And they were to be a light to all the nations around them a living testimony witness that their God was the only one true, powerful God, and all the nations were to see that. And they were blessed awesomely. From heaven the Lord looks on, looks down and sees all mankind. From his dwelling place he watches all who live on earth. He who forms the hearts of all who considers everything they do. No king is saved by the size of his army. No warrior escapes by his great strength. A horse is a vain hope for deliverance. Despite all its great strength, it cannot save. You know, there's so many people putting their hope and their trust and their dependence on so many other things. As the prophet said, trusting in chariots and horses when in fact we put our trust and our hope in the Lord. The eyes of the Lord are on those who fear Him and on those whose hope is in His unfailing love to deliver them from death and to keep them alive in famine. We wait in hope for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. In Him our hearts rejoice, for we trust in His holy name. May Your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord even as we put our hope in you. You know, as you think about your life, what would an outside observer conclude if he were to observe your life, look at your life, and what you put your trust in? Horses or the Lord? And there's lots and lots of people professing Christians who truly are not putting their trust in the Lord. They're putting their trust in lots of other things, but not in the Lord. And that's a constant tension for our life. Constant tension. Witness, how many times do we run off impulsively and do things without first inquiring of the Lord, waiting upon the Lord? Just look at your life. You run off and you do something, and, and only later... You think, oh gosh, I never took this to the Lord, really. I never inquired of the Lord. I never waited on the Lord about this subject, about this issue. I just rushed off impulsively. And all that tells us about our life is that we, we really don't trust in Him. We really don't hope in Him. Only when things go wrong do we go, oh God, help rather than waiting upon the Lord, waiting upon the Lord, waiting upon the Lord. Waiting does something for us and to us, doesn't it? 
Waiting is not one of our favorite things. <laughs> but you know what? It's one of the best things. We need it. Because we are impulsive. We are egocentric. We think we know what's best. We think we can handle it. Well, I know. You, just, you don't understand like I understand, you see. When in fact, we need to wait on the Lord. We need to wait on the Lord. Trust in Him. Our hope is in Him. He is sovereign. He knows every single detail. That's what the psalm is telling us. He knows everything that's going on. He created it all. His hand is upon us. We can wait on Him. And not be like Saul. You remember Saul? Impulsive Saul. Inquire of the Lord and learn to wait on Him. May your unfailing love rest upon us, O Lord, even as we put our hope in you. Our confidence is in you. And we wait upon you. Is that encouraging to you? Turn to Psalm 103. Now that's on page 550, May 2nd. Psalm 103. Now, I want you to, I'm going to ask you a question before we read the psalm. And I want you to think about it. Do you tend to be a praiser or a complainer? Shall we take a vote? Shall we show, have a show of hands? <laughs> Do you tend to be a praiser or a complainer? Because if you're a complainer, you need to pay attention to this psalm. And if you're a praiser, you already know the psalm. Praise the Lord, oh my soul, all my inmost being, praise his holy name. God, I praise you with everything that I have. I praise you with all that I am. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Is that the voice of a complainer? No. Forget not all his benefits, who forgives all your sins. Now look at this next line. And heals all your diseases. There it is. It heals all your diseases. Now, I, I confess to you, I have trouble with that verse, that line. And I think most of us do. But I think there's something here that we don't quite understand. There's a connection between praise and God's power in our life. When I first became a Christian back in 1977, some friends of mine in this church handed me a book. Actually, it's a booklet. You read it in a couple hours. It's written by a guy by the name of Merlin Crothers. Maybe some of you have heard of him. It's called The Power of Praise. The Power of Praise. And I tell you, I read that book, and that book just lit my fire. Gave me an understanding of praise and the power in praise. Not that I became powerful, but it opened up an avenue for God's power to be more clearly evidenced in my life. And right here in the psalm, 
this emphasis on praise the Lord, oh my soul, with everything in me, giving my life to praise Him. And then you have these statements about God who forgives all your sins. See, you're not holding back. You're not holding back. You're open, wide open to Him. And in that environment, you are obviously coming clean, <laughs> removing every barrier, but also heals all your diseases. That astounds me. God's power, I would submit to you, is released in praise. Who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion. Who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. Look at that. Satisfies your desires with good things. You see, when we're abandoned to him, we have all sorts of desires, don't we? All sorts of wants and needs. But he satisfies them as we seek him. I mean, it's no, no different than what Jesus said in Matthew's gospel. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be taken care of. Same principle. Different package. Different language. Different words. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He works righteousness. He works justice for all the oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. If you ever think God is unfair or unjust, you're ever tempted to doubt his character, note that verse again. The Lord is, first of all, compassionate and gracious. And aren't you glad that he's slow to anger? Some of us are not exactly slow to anger, are we? Abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. Aren't you glad of that? You know, I am utterly convinced we sow seeds of foolishness, don't we? And we know we're going to reap a harvest. But I'm utterly convinced, based on that passage and other parallel passages, that God in his infinite mercy blunts the harvest of our foolishness. We don't reap the full harvest. And I praise him every day and I say, God, thank you. Thank you. You don't give me what I deserve. It's like I'm constantly dodging bullets. <laughs> when in fact God is intercepting those bullets and saving me. And I go to bed at night and I think, oh, Lord, you got me out of that mess today. Thank you. And his grace is always going before me. I don't get what I deserve. Thank the Lord. He says, For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. Do you fear God? I fear him. I fear God. Hebrews says it is a terrible, fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Think about that. I fear him. I, I'm concerned about people saying, well, I don't, I don't fear him. Why should you fear God? Because of who he is. 
Man, because of who he is. You best fear him. And yet at the same time, I know he loves me and I can go to him any single moment of any single day. My son loves me dearly. He has no fear of coming and putting his arms around me, hugging me, kissing me. We wrestle together on the floor. He, he, I lay down with him at night. We do all kinds of things together. We have a very intimate, loving, close relationship. But you know what? He fears me. He has a healthy, healthy respect of his father. Amen. That's as it should be. And we should have a very, very healthy respect, albeit a fear, of our Heavenly Father, and yet at the same time, there'd be no problem with us going to Him, no problem with us doubting His love and His care for us. The Bible says that God disciplines those He loves. And a loving father, a genuinely loving father, will discipline, will train His child in the ways of righteousness. So we have that great confidence. And the psalmist rehearses this for us. He says, As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from, from us. As far as the east is from the west, our, our sins have been removed. We've been forgiven. And he doesn't remember them anymore, so why should we? The devil is the accuser of the brethren, and he'll come and try to get you to remember all your failures and your sins and get you all bummed out. But remember, our transgressions have been removed as far as the east is from the west. As a father, he has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass, and he flourishes like a flower of the field. The wind blows over it, and it's gone, and its place remembers it no more. But from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him, and his righteousness with their children's children. He says it's a heritage that's passed on. Those who really fear the Lord, those who learn to walk in faith and obedience before the Lord, those who are learning to trust Him, those who are learning to praise Him and give Him glory, the Bible says that their children's children will walk in His righteousness. There's a godly heritage that God wants to pass on to the next generations. So we make an investment not just in our own life when we fear God, when we walk after Him, when we trust Him. We're making an investment in the next generations of people. With those who keep His covenant, remember to obey His precepts. The Lord has established His throne in heaven and His kingdom rules over all. There is no other kingdom but God's kingdom and it rules Praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works, everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. Wow, did you love that song? I love that song. That is powerful. You meditate on that, you memorize that song, you begin to just speak that psalm out and rehearse that psalm. And you will, too, say, praise the Lord, oh, my soul, with everything that's in my being. I want you to pass on to Psalm 119. 
No, we're not going to read the whole thing. <laughs> I heard the murmuring start up. <laughs> because Psalm 119 fits within the context of this last week's readings, it is such a powerful psalm. I just, I didn't, I couldn't leave it. I wanted to just point out a few verses that have been such a source of blessing and encouragement to me in my own life. And I just want to kind of run these by you. In the first set, now each, each one of these, there's 22 uh, stanzas, if you will. And each one is uh, under the heading of a letter of the Hebrew alphabet. There's 22 letters in the Hebrew alphabet. And interestingly, in the Hebrew uh, version, every verse... The first letter of every verse starts with the first letter of that particular letter of the alphabet under which it's found. So under the first setting, now in the daily Bible, you don't have the verses numbered, uh, but verses 5 and 6, for those of you that do have them numbered, say, Oh, that my ways were steadfast in obeying your decrees. God, I wish I was more faithful. Oh, Lord, I wish I was more steadfast in obeying you then I would not be put to shame when I consider all your commands. You ever read God's word and, and, and feel put to shame sometimes? Oh, I fall short there. I missed it there. I missed it there. I missed it there. And at the same time, you say, God, I wish I was more steadfast. You see? And so the psalmist understands. Under the letter Beth in verses 9 and 11, how can a young man keep his way pure? By living according to your word. How can I keep my life pure? Quite simply, by living according to God's word. Verse 11 says, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. I have hidden my, your word in my heart. What's he talking about? You know, there's an old saying that says, garbage in, garbage out. Right? What do you expose your mind to? What do you think? The kinds of thoughts you think and so forth. That's all he's talking about. He says, I've taken your word and I put it into my life. I've memorized it. I meditate on it. I've integrated your word into my life to ensure the fact that I will not sin against you, that I will not violate your commands because I'm always finding myself thinking your word because I've, I've hit it into my heart. I'm thinking about you. I'm thinking about your word, about your righteousness. Turn over to um, May 3rd under the Hebrew letter Teth. Verses 67 and 71. I love these. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I obey your word. It was good for me to be afflicted so that I might learn your decrees. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But you afflicted me, spanked my behind. Now I know your word. Now I walk the straight and narrow. It was good that I was afflicted. You see, we look back with 2020 hindsight. I wouldn't want to go through that again. But I'm sure glad I did. Because it taught me a good lesson. Right? Isn't God's word rich? I love it. Turn the page to uh, Lambda. 
verses 92 through 94. If your law had not been my delight, I would have perished in my affliction. I will never forget your precepts, for by them you have preserved my life. Save me, for I am yours. Save me, for I am yours. And then right down below, verses 97 and 98. To all perfection I see a limit, but your commands are boundless. Oh, how I love your law. I meditate on it all day long. In verse 105, under the letter, none, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that beautiful? I want you to turn over to Psalm 139. Page 566. And I want you to enjoy this psalm as we read it. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out, my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. And before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. God, you know me. You know everything about me. Why do I try to hide? Why do I continue to live in denial? You know all there is to know about me. Do you remember in Genesis after the man and the woman had disobeyed God? And they hear the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they run, and where do they go? They go run and hide in the bushes, don't they? And the Lord God says, calls out to the man... Where are you? Where are you? Do you suppose that God didn't know where he was? No, God knew exactly where he was. Does God know exactly where we are? Exactly. But you know what? Just like he said that to the man in the garden, he says it to us, where are you? Where are you? Why does he say that? Because he wants us to come out of hiding. He wants us to fess up. This is where I'm at. I'm hurting, I'm angry, I'm frustrated, I'm discouraged, I don't see any hope, I'm whatever. He wants us to admit. Because unless we come out in the open, unless we admit who and where and what we are, he already knows, we'll never be able to access his grace and his healing. As long as our our backs are down and we're hiding in the bushes, he says, come on out. Come on out of hiding. And the psalmist tells us so wonderfully that God knows everything. He searches us. You hem me in, he says, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. 
Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Oh, Lord. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me. And your right hand will hold me fast. I love that. Your right hand will hold me fast. I cannot escape from you. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will be not dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. Doesn't matter where I am, even if I try to hide in the dark. You ever try to hide from God? Anybody ever try to hide from God? You ever try to run from his presence? Why would we ever want to run from God? Hide. We would always just want to run to him. For you created my inmost being, and you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. God! Awesome, the human body. The human being, incredible miracle. Even as a non-Christian, when I studied biochemistry and anatomy and physiology and studied the human body, I was utterly amazed. I was amazed at the infinite detail and and all the feedback systems and all the interconnections, the whole endocrine system is amazing. And now in the light of what God tells me, I indeed say I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Before we were born, before we were conceived, God had all the days of our life written out for us. Isn't that glorious? Is God in control? Can we trust him? Oh, yes. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. You have not left me. You're still there. If only you would slay the wicked, O God. Away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. David is saying, God, your enemies are my enemies. Now he's speaking out of his, his, his intense, intense love for God. And his intense love for God makes anything, anyone that does not love God a vile enemy. He just says, God! Do away with them. 
Have you ever felt righteous indignation at evil? I mean, righteous indignation at evil, injustice. Haven't you felt like saying, God, call down thunder from heaven? Yes? yes? That's what you see. See, you're in the presence of the Lord. You're meditating on the Lord. You're so filled with excitement and joy for him and his graciousness. And then you see injustice, unrighteousness, and you're filled with indignation. And all you can do is say, God. And then later on you repent. <laughs> and you say, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. God, search my heart. Test me. Know my thoughts. Show me those things that are offensive so that I can distance myself from them so that I may walk in your way. And the last psalm I want us to read is next page over, Psalm 150. I want to invite the worship team to come and help us read this psalm. We have the cymbals and the horns and the tambourines and the flutes and the strings. And the... This is a great psalm. This is going to be an action psalm. <laughs> Glory is right. Too bad we don't have a trumpet tonight, but we have a, what, a saxophone? and a, Is that clarinet? Is that what that is? What is it? Okay. Oh, both saxophones. Okay. All right. We're going to crank the saxophones up tonight, okay, uh, Al? Don't you love saxophone? All right. You guys all ready? Huh? The cymbals all ready? The... No? Perry here for the piano? The piano? You're going to play the piano? All right. I want you to read Psalm 150 with me, and then and as we come to these things, I want you to hear the instruments as they come into, into play. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty heavens. Praise him for his acts of power. Praise him for his surpassing greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet and the saxophone. with the harp and the lyre. Praise him with the tambourine and with dancing. Somebody get up and dance to the Lord. Praise him with the strings and the flute.
worthy to be praised. He is worthy to be exalted. He is worthy that we sing his praises. His love endures forever. Should we sing that? <laughs> <laughs> forever. Lord, our hearts are prepared for communion. Our hearts are prepared, Lord, to once again proclaim that great expression of your love, Jesus dying in our place on that cross, paying the penalty for our sins, taking upon himself our sins and our guilt, that we might be set free, we might have life, and have it abundantly. Lord God, thank you 
I pray, Father, that you would search our hearts and make known to us any way that is deceitful, harmful, hurtful in us. Lord, that we would leave that with you. We would acknowledge. Lord, walk in your everlasting way. Minister to us, Lord, as we prepare now to come to your table. Go ahead and be seated. And I'm going to ask the ushers if they would distribute the communion elements. If you're new with us and you're a Christian, we invite you to participate with us in communion now. The ushers will be passing the communion trays. Instruction that when we receive communion, we're not to do it in an unworthy manner. That means in a light and a flippant manner, but we're to understand that we are proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes. We are rehearsing the most significant event in all of human history, the death of Jesus Christ. But it wasn't an isolated event. It has eternal significance and consequence. It's the avenue for us to be set free from sin, guilt, that which is a barrier between us and God. The door is open by faith to a substantially healed relationship, even in this life, between us and him, between us and ourselves, between each other, and even between ourselves and our environment. So we're proclaiming tonight that what the world needs is Jesus. What the world needs is Jesus. What every single one of us needs is Jesus. More and more of him. The Apostle Paul writes in Romans that God is conforming us to the image of Christ. I wish he would work quicker. But he's working at his pace. Maybe I just need to learn to participate more actively. There's much, much that's tied up in this time, this very precious and solemn time. It's a very personal time for each one of us. As we look to the Lord for strength and courage and nourishment, direction, healing, forgiveness, restoration. Whatever the issue is for you, or whatever multiple issues, speak to the Lord about them. And as you take the cracker and the juice, you need to know that God wants to minister to that area of need. Nothing magical about these elements, but it's by faith they become vehicles of God's grace and God's ministering love and power. Many times I've walked away from communion, strengthened, encouraged, blessed, healed. It's not just a mind trip, it's much more. Jesus said, this is my body, which is given for you. He said, take and eat it. Let my life nourish you. Let my life be the source of your strength. 
The Apostle Paul said, it's not I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. That great mystery. Let's look to him and say, Lord, you be the source of my strength. Surrender to the Lord as you take this, this bread, as you take in the very life of Jesus. Again, shall we eat the bread? lifted the cup amongst his disciples and he said this is the cup of the new covenant in my blood which is given for you for the forgiveness of your sins we've been washed by the blood of Jesus that's a picture of, of the great cost of our sin the great cost of our foolishness it cost his blood perfect blood and yet he poured it out willingly for you and I. And he said, when you drink this cup, remember me. Remember me. Lord Jesus, we remember you and we thank you and we toast you. We toast you tonight. You have done that which we could not do. You've set us free. You've cleansed us. You've given us your righteousness. We toast you tonight. You are a great God, and you are our Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Heavenly Father. Thank you. And thank you, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Amen.